0: I'm hearing about lots of people either solidifying their relationships and coming closer together with their better half during this pandemic, or realizing that they're not getting along and breaking up. Whatever situation you may find yourself in, and even if you're single, I highly recommend the book I'm about to talk about in this episode as a grounding exercise for the complicated topic of love. Welcome back to Quest for You. I'm so glad you are here. These are strange times and I thought, why not talk about something completely different? I wrote this episode weeks ago when I finished the book, The Four Noble Truths of Love, that I'm going to review here shortly. And I've waited with this episode. It was just never the right moment, but today, as I'm sitting here on a really dark and orange-looking apocalyptic day in Northern California, I thought, let's do something completely different. And I thought, why not? Let's talk about love. We all spent a significant portion of our time in relationships. And I'm certainly not an expert on relationships and love. I've had less than a handful of long-term relationships in my life. I don't think I've even read many books on the topic of love. And when my last long-term relationship, which was my marriage, ended, I felt I needed to find myself first and foremost. Picking up a relationship book was last on my list. But lately I thought it might not be such a bad idea. Relationships teach us how to be with another person. And this then also teaches us more about who we are. And somehow I felt drawn to Susan Pyrus' book. I heard her speak on a podcast maybe a year ago and share her story of her marriage that was like a roller coaster up and down. And it was the way that she spoke that made me realize this is a real person with real relationship issues, just like the ones I've had in the past. I felt like she spoke to me, not over me, pretending to have the perfect relationship and about to tell me how I can have it too it captured me. Because relationships are up and down. No matter how much in love we are in the beginning, the rollercoaster ride eventually begins. So I picked up Pyrrha's book. And I just love her sincere, no BS approach. Her writing speaks to me in a way that makes me feel understood. And she shares pieces of wisdom I have never heard before. I think what also drew me to this book was the subtitle. Buddhist wisdom for modern relationships. Lately, I have found a lot of guidance and wisdom for my life from Buddhism. So I was intrigued by this application of the ancient Four Noble Truths of Buddhism to love. If you have not heard of them, here they are quickly. One, life is suffering. What this refers to is that life is unsatisfying because it always changes and nothing is for certain two the cause of suffering which is basically that we grasp to the first truth is trying to create permanence the third truth is called the cessation of suffering now that we know what causes suffering we also know how to end it and the fourth truth provides the path it's called the eightfold path and it's a way out of grasping and suffering you can read more about the ancient buddhist four noble truths online or by getting a book about it. I may even create an episode about them later. But you'll get an idea when I go over Pyrrha's four noble truths of love, as she parallels them with the Buddhist truths. Her truths came to her in the midst of some of her worst relationship troubles. And I want to quickly go over them without giving away too much. But they are so valuable. Each one offers a lesson by itself. Number one, the first truth. Relationships never stabilize. Wow. Really? But isn't that what we all think and want and seek? Isn't this what every relationship book is about? How to find more love and make it last? But I find this chase results in constant suffering because we never feel like we arrive. This book changes the conversation from how to get more love so we can arrive at a place of comfort, to how to love. And this love begins with ourselves. Piver explains something very wise in this chapter. Because we are never quite happy with ourselves, this then carries over into the relationship. We're not perfect, yet we expect perfection from our relationships. She says, when it comes to love unkindness to self begins to mix with the relationship. As you become emotionally intertwined, the energetic space between you starts to close up. As it tightens, your ability to see your partner as separate from your own mind stream diminishes. The closer you get, the less able you are to actually see each other. The kindness or unkindness you extend towards them is a reflection of the way you treat yourself. Isn't this interesting? Interesting. She adds, there is something about continual proximity to another person that is irritating. And hence, there will always be instability. Love is not an end-all state that we arrive at one day. Love is a continuous unfolding, riddled with uncertainty. The comfort we so desire doesn't lie at the end of a long road, after a lot of work and the perfect house and the two-car garage and whatever we think will bring the relationship to its ultimate, final point of happiness. It is to be found in the moment-to-moment dance with uncertainty, acceptance, and a willingness to feel all emotions, especially fear. Instead of hoping and thinking what should happen in any given moment of our relationship, this opens us up to just go with what is, happening. Her suggested path to live in such a state? Meditation. It's her recipe throughout the book and as someone who has begun meditating somewhat consistently again, I can affirm. Meditation opens my heart and allows me to be more grounded and stable as a human being. Relationships never stabilize but, and this is my interpretation, I can do my own inner work to show up for any relationship as a stable and grounded human being. And I believe that this will make for a better dance with the uncertainty that naturally arises in relationships. Number two, expecting relationships to be stable is what makes them unstable. My experience, expectations always lead to suffering. Any expectation. Just look at life as it is now, highly unstable and uncertain. And to a certain degree, we all struggle with that. Because expectations tie our happiness to an outcome that is not guaranteed. Piverr so succinctly states, To enter a relationship for the long term is to enter the space of not knowing. While this is so brave and beautiful, exhilarating even, it is not particularly comfortable. We struggle with uncertainty. We want to know. Not knowing is uncomfortable. Yet, the expectation that our relationships will reach some kind of stable endpoint only leads to suffering. Instead of waiting and hoping for our partner in the relationship to become something it is not, Pyvor has a different suggestion. Love will not come to you by imagining what love looks like. Instead of hoping against hope for true love to somehow just show up, hold your heart and mind open stop looking for it. Instead, offer it to everyone. In this way, you make a relationship with love itself. The focus is on expanding your heart's capacity rather than on waiting for another to fill it up. Beautiful. I think that's my favorite quote from the entire book. This goes back to loving ourselves first and doing what we love. Unconditionally, Only when we are capable of doing so can we then also love another and accept their imperfections. I found this to be true in all my relationships, whether it's with a friend or a partner. When I drop my expectations, I'm more open to not only receive what is, but also to enjoy what is. My morning calls with my meetup group, Vision 2020, is a perfect example. Every time we are not on topic, we have the deepest and most connecting conversations because we are more present to what is instead of focusing on what should be. And I believe our love relationships would also be more loving if we approach them this way. So instead of getting upset when our partner is five minutes late, maybe we can use the opportunity to connect with them, to learn something new about them and thereby connecting on a deeper level. When we let go of expectations... There is an immediate relief. You can try this out right now. Think of anything that you have in mind at the moment where you hope for a certain outcome or certain way something should be. Maybe a walk later with a friend or an email you're waiting on from someone important or an event that you have coming up. Take a moment and breathe and then let go mentally of the expectation tied to that event that it has to go A certain way. Instead, relax into it. Play with the possibility that it might go differently. Every time I do this, say, I have a climbing weekend planned. My mind starts arranging the plan already of everything I imagine should happen. Especially around the routes that I'm hoping to climb. Yet when things change, I often get disappointed. Instead, now I try to go into the weekend with an open mind ready to just have a great time and happy them out in nature, then I feel free and I don't suffer. Because then everything that happens will be received with joy. Number three, meeting the instability together is love. Here Piver says, Real love, it seems, is a result not of feeling enraptured all the time, but of being with someone who will ride these unpredictable waves with you. Now we love each other. Now we don't. Now you love me and I don't love you. Now it's the reverse. Someone who holds your hand through the ups and downs that are the very nature of a relationship. For that, she suggests what she calls the container principle. And this refers to creating an optimal environment where love can thrive. This includes a clean living space that you inhabit together, putting a little effort into how you dress, eating good food to be healthy, your other relationships outside of your partnership, and spending time in nature. I love this. In my past relationships, and even with my friends and climbing partners, I've always felt that no matter how many times we talked about certain points of contention, there were some we just couldn't settle. For example, and this is something I learned about myself, through climbing, I don't pay attention at times. Say someone teaches me something that consists of five steps. I may hear four out of five. I may understand and be able to repeat three of those. And the fourth I may think I understand, but uh, I didn't really get it. And the fifth one I didn't even hear. This happens to me in meetings at work as well, and I'm sure my friends and previous partners have noticed it. If someone shares something of importance, I really need to make an effort To pay close attention. This is an aspect about me that my climbing partners, who often teach me things, struggle with. And I get it. But when they ask me why I didn't listen or pay attention, I don't have an answer. It wasn't intentional. My mind is easily distractible, I guess. There are things about our partners that won't change. And this is where true love comes in. Where my flaws and my partner's flaws are not an obstacle to loving more. Rather, they are part of the dance Piver is talking about. There's more to this chapter for the third truth that I highly recommend reading. She draws from her Buddhist training and suggests some wonderful qualities we should learn to live by and look for in our partners. I highlighted this quote. Love seems custom-made to evoke the deepest woundings and therefore forces you to choose over and over between your puny, fearful self and you heroic, genius self. The closer you get to the other person, the louder you soar or shriek, the more frightened you become, the more you scare each other, all resulting in some weird battles that have nothing to do with what is actually happening. And with this, she refers to our childhood traumas and experiences that have shaped the person we have become and that trigger us from time to time, and sometimes in less favorable ways love, the proximity to this other person, the vulnerability that brings those wounds out in ways that not even our closest friendships can. And here she suggests generosity. The entire chapter basically tells us, forget blame. It's useless and unproductive. Rather, turn toward each other. Accept and work with what is. Be present, no matter how uncomfortable that is. She speaks about the importance of being attentive to the other person and quotes poet and Zen priest John Tarrant Roche. Attention is the most basic form of love. Through it we bless and are blessed. In my example above, with my weakness of not listening well, the best my partner could do is just be with me, not belittle me, not laugh at me for having missed an important point, not question me, and most importantly not taking it personal, because my weakness is not causing intentional harm. Just be with me, lovingly, understanding that this is who I am and that this is an air of difficulty for me. Now, this is not an excuse for me to just be who I want to be and do nothing about it. I need to try to work on myself and do so with love for the relationship. But a partner who's shutting down and not supporting me through the discomfort is unlikely to inspire me to change. Attention is the most basic form of love. To me, this is an indirect statement of I hear you. I see you. I'm here with you and with us, despite the challenges. I will not withdraw love from you just because you didn't meet my expectations. This, to me, is attention doesn't mean there can't be disappointments or even some silence in some space. But a coming together should always be possible when you love one another, no matter how deep or difficult the conflict is. And again, meditation can help us develop these skills. Mindfulness, presence, attention. This is what meditation is all about and this is what relationships are about as well. And lastly, number four, there is a path to liberation. And here's where it comes down to what we do with the fact that there will always be instability in relationships. They are rooted in meditation. And as she states, meditation, as it turns out, it's not just a path to stress reduction or heightened performance. It's a path to love. From the practice of meditation, we can learn the practice of being in a relationship. Wonderful. She talks about precision, openness, and going beyond A quote I love here in this chapter is, rather than focusing on changing each other, you focus on knowing each other. This doesn't happen in a lot of relationships. This getting to know each other, asking questions, exploring and understanding, I think it's so important. She talks about important attributes like honesty, compassion and good manners. Because they demonstrate the presence of that attention and awareness that she talks about in the third truth. When someone places their attention on us, that is where love lives. And then everything arises from that. Listen to this beautiful quote. Though you may enter a relationship believing it is composed of two beings, you and me. At some point this third entity, us, joins the party. Each needs care you, me, and us. To care for one may not be the same as caring for the other. I can't recommend this book enough. Whether you are in a relationship seeking one or not wanting one, this book will help you establish a stronger connection with yourself. And as she beautifully describes, this is the most important part. This is the most important thing we can do. To have This presence and attention and awareness with ourselves first. Because if we don't have that, how can we go into a relationship and have it with another person? Meditation is the suggested success principle here for everything. This is where we should all start, no matter our relationship status. Meditation, and she ends the book teaching us to meditate, is the basis of a balanced and loving self. And that person can then be also a more loving partner in a relationship. I want to end with a quote that I think is the prerequisite for it all. It's the requirement to begin the work with ourselves. It's the requirement to be in a loving relationship. And that is vulnerability. If we're not willing to be vulnerable, we're not open to change, not open to receive and not open enough to love. Vulnerability is the prerequisite for love. What is the prerequisite for vulnerability? Uncertainty. What is the last thing we want to feel in our relationships? Uncertainty. Much love, my friends.